to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. All right, we are recording right now, and I am doing. This is probably my second trip interviewing people in Seattle. Not interviewing, having conversation. I'm here with Alicia Wood. <laughs> One of my, you know, this this should be. It's it's going to be inform, um, informal, Alicia. So don't worry. Um, so she's a very comedian, uh, very funny comedian, and friend of mine. But before we jump, getting detail, yeah. uh, background and stuff, I, I have to ask you because. You and especially your brother had a big part of the incident years ago in Seattle. Right, right. I interviewed Cliff Barn, and um, anyone who's listened to this podcast a few episodes away, he talked length. So I, I you were last time I saw you, Tana Manu, Brody Stevens, yep. they were filming that show for Comedy Central. Right. Which is, by the way, if people haven't seen it, they should watch it. It's bizarre and wonderful. Yeah. And that, that scene that they filmed in Seattle, um, my part with Brody was edited out, which is fine. I just need a record that people saw how it was resolved. So for, for, for those of you hearing this story for the first time, there was an incident at Giggles Comedy Club. <laughs> You think you think it was like twenty years ago, fifteen years ago? Uh, it would have been in probably ninety nine. I, I mean, I think ninety nine sounds about right to me. Yeah, you know. I think I think you're right. No, it's got to be more than thirteen because I've been away thirteen and a half years, and I didn't leave Seattle right after the incident. And ninety nine sounds about right to me. Yeah. So, not quite twenty years, but seventeen years ago. So, I there was um conflict but I want to I want to hear your side you know because because it kind of triggered by your brother sitting in front of the audience giggles but I, I don't want to I don't want to so I long but what I do remember is that my brother was in the audience he was in the front row yeah and I think he had like walked up to watch Al or something like and so he was watching Al and I remember Al was being a fantastic asshole that night that's what I remember like yeah. I always got along well with Al but that was not his shining moment he was being a dick you know and uh, for the listener if you if you listen to this story first time he's a comedian but he's also a handicapped white comedian right and he was doing a show and I think your brother was front but I could have sworn he was sitting with another friend or I thought. Yeah, well, and I think, I don't know if he has a, a mental disability. I know he certainly has a slowed speech impediment of some sort yeah. from the accident, but he was in a motorcycle accident, sure. and so now he's kind of jacked up in the head, but uh, made a lot of money doing motivational speaking, Yeah. and then he, like, would not get off stage that night, and he was like, fuck you, you're blah, you know, and so I, I just remember they kept giving him the light, and uh, he was shitting on people in the audience. And he did go after my brother. My brother was like, what the fuck? But it was it was like one of those things where it was just like weird for my brother. Like Your brother didn't do anything. Yeah. He was just in the front. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I, I think, remember, what was it? The thing that Kramer did. Not Kramer. Uh, what's his name? Michael Richardson? Yeah. Or whatever Richardson. He snapped. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think, couldn't handle it. I don't think he's a racist. Yeah. But I think he is comedic actor. Starting comedy, I guess maybe things wasn't going well. Maybe he panicked, so he started using the Ender during the show, being funny, and they were actually kind of laughing because they saw Kramer using N word, right? Right. 
um, the reason he got in big trouble because that was one of the first time when somebody filmed something put on the internet. So that was like a beginning of where. But it was also you didn't see the whole thing. So that's the one thing that's so hard about that clip is that you yeah, don't know what happened see, before. And you don't know what happened before and after. Yeah. yeah. It, it, granted, inappropriate. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, but he was so nice when I met him that I had a really hard time reconciling those two things together yeah. because he was so classy and so nice when I met him. Yeah. You know, like. Went out of his way to be nice to somebody that nobody knows. I was a nobody and, you know, like still a nobody. But, you know, like he just was so nice to me in ways he didn't have to be. And it didn't feel like he was hitting on me. It felt like a professional courtesy. Yeah. You know, like. I don't I don't think it's a racist. It's just, it just unfortunately he didn't know how to deal with the situation. You know? Right. So so anyway, going back to Al. So uh, you think he didn't know how to deal with that situation? I, I don't know what, what was the deal with Al. I just know that. um well, you go, you go and finish. And I'm, I'm just curious because Clifford talked about what he saw, you know. Yeah, well, and Cliff was a big part of that whole thing, too, because I remember afterwards he climbed on stage to calm everything down. But, yeah, uh, he calmed me down, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah kind of, sort of, kind yeah. of, sort of. I mean, he just kept repeating, like, okay, 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 yeah. take it easy. That, I mean, that's what I remember. It's like, and tonally, I don't know if that's legitimately, like, exactly what happened. Because you were in the but, back back room with all the comedians, right? Yeah, I was yeah. In, the, in that cave area, the yeah. back part. And, um, but I didn't see the whole thing happen, but I know that, I remember they were saying, we can't get this guy off stage. And then I think, I think I was in the showroom or not the showroom, the bar with you. And I think we both went in to figure out what was going on and we watched Al and he wouldn't get off stage. And then I think he hit on my brother or hit my, whatever was my brother, started talking to my brother. And then, uh, and then I remember, was it that you went on stage after him? Yeah. And then I remember you, uh he threw something at you like a glass of water or sprite or something right uh it was a beer and well i i thought or was the know, other part I, just I, can, I can be instigator when i'm like uh if i'm drinking or something but i wasn't drunk and the way i remember you know it was one of those nights everybody was kind of struggling including myself and well yeah that was like giggles and giggles could be death at open mic sure and i thought People are nice enough to sit there and listen to what we have to say. You should you should be nice and don't attack, especially the you know a kid or two in the front. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I said something to Al and uh, he challenged me. He came up and I think I generally don't think he meant to throw that thing at my face, but you know his hands are fucked up. So yeah, yeah. He so anyway my oh it looked to me like he meant to throw it. Oh, okay. It, it looked to me like he meant to do it. Maybe it was an accident. I'll I'll I mean I could do that benefit of the doubt. Because years but... later he told me he didn't mean to do it, but. Maybe that's his form of apology. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's him trying to apologize. But I, I really I don't know. I didn't think it would escalate to that. But, that's, but you know, when you hear these situations at bars when people get into fights or whatever, yeah. you just never know, like, one person misinterpreted and, and, and they, they, they didn't know. When it wants to escalate, you don't even know how it's going to stop, you know? So, it, you know, I guess in my point of view... I didn't get hurt, and I think most of the audience were on my side because I'm, I'm not I'm not, I'm not into bullying people. But yeah. to me, I thought even though he's handicapped, he's he's attacking a 13 or 14 year kid. You yeah, know, yeah. You, you know, you, you're a handicapped man, but you're still a man. So right. anyway, yeah, I, I, I talk because you know you that incident happened. Then years later, this is like three years ago. Brody was filming that thing at the Giggles. Yeah. And... Was he there? 
Al? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't see him that night. I was he, he went up and he told his story, which is completely different from mine. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> What's his version? He just made it. He made him like he was upstanding standing and like I, I was some kind of savage. I, you know, unwarranted attack. But then he went up. Then I went up. And I, I don't know if he knew me. I think he knew I was there. But I went up. I told my story. So here's the situation. You have two people telling basically two different stories. Yeah. So Clifford went up and he told his story. And his story pretty much matched like 95% what I was saying, you know. I'm sure that Cliff and I would have the same story. Yeah. I mean, my memory's getting fuzzier, but I do remember that like... Yeah, there's little things that I can't remember, but I remember the big things. And I do remember, like, the, the visual is seared in my brain yeah. of him throwing whatever it was in your face. And then just and you water went didn't everywhere. Do anything. He was just sitting in front. He's just sitting, sitting in, the, in front. the front. Yeah, kid in the front. And, uh, and, but I mean, it was like he threw the water in your face. And before the water had hit the floor, like anything that didn't hit your face, those water drops, before those water drops hit the floor, Al hit the floor. I mean, you had him I completely him right yeah. horizontal. And had him in a chokehold, or not a chokehold, but a, you were choking I mean, I'm him. I'm choking him because yeah. I'm way hung over, so my words are shit right now. But yeah, I could have hit him, but that's a little too much. But choking enough get his attention without really bruising him. But um, it is true. Clifford went up, and thank God he was there because Clifford told me later on. You know, even though comparing Seattle to the rest of the country, yeah. It's not as racist like the rest of the country, right? Like, well, it is, but the big debate up here is the see no color. We have the see no color phenomenon up here, where it's like we deny things are happening because we don't see race, so we don't see problems. Well, that's a problem. That's another extreme, I think. You right. have to see color, right? You know, right? And uh, but when I moved up here, that was the predominant thing: was well, we see no color, yeah. you know. So, um, but Clifford was telling me he's seen people getting choked and beat up by cops, but. When I was talking to Tony Daniel, another comedian friend of ours, black person, he was saying, he was saying, <laughs> is there racism in this area? Of course, but compared to the rest of the country, it's not that bad, relatively speaking. I mean, it's a pleasant place to live. Yes, it's, it's extremely you know? pleasant place to live. It's just now the other extreme is it's a really expensive place to live. Just in the last year. Yeah. Is that right? It's just... Yeah. I was blown away last year. We were saving up for a down payment and houses doubled in the amount of time that we started saving. So. Yeah. And I've only been with my boyfriend for a year and a half. So. I mean, like, it went from like 250000 to 600000 yeah. fast. You know. I mean, you know, I, I remember in the early 90s, my mother wouldn't pay me for working for her. I saved enough tip money and I was able to buy a house in Tacoma. Yeah. And by the time I sold it for like 70 grand. I would imagine that house is 15 years now. I wouldn't say it's quite 200,000, but it's up there now. Yeah. I mean, everything up here is, I think the theory is everyone from San Francisco is moving up here because to them, everything's cheap up here. Right. Even though anyone who lives here thinking, who the hell could you afford this, you know? Yeah, no, it's bad. Yeah. It's really bad. But uh, the one thing I do want to say about the owl thing is yeah. that I remember when you had him on the ground and everything and then Cliff comes up there so now you've got Cliff up there and it started to look like a Benetton ad with the different races of people <laughs> yeah. that were up there and just, just the bizarreness you, you see a white handicapped guy getting choked on the ground. by a yellow guy yeah. with a black guy hovering over him trying to calm me down and then on top of that Rick Kunkler couldn't stand the fact that the audience was not being entertained so he jumped on stage and started tap dancing and playing music too and singing raindrops on whiskers that's and right roses on kittens or whatever that 
that song I, I got, is. I got, like, I, I got while hand full blown, like cartwheel style tap dancing, one I got of the funniest and most bizarre things I've ever seen in my life. Just that moment alone was I what I'll admit, never forget. <laughs> no, that was very funny. But afterwards, they basically told Al to get out of there, which is weird because when you hear, when you see a handicapped person joke, you, you would think automatically whoever's choking that person's bad, but the way he, I understand, you know, brain injury, sometimes he can think clearly, lack of impulse control, but, you know, I mean, I have to say. Well, I don't think anybody that was there had any sympathy for Al. The way know? he was behaving, right? The way he yeah. was behaving was inappropriate. Even Kermit thought it was hilarious because he's seen how Al has acted in, in past. Yeah. And Kermit's like the, one of the nicest, if not the nicest guy ever in comedy scene in Pacific Northwest. Yeah. You know, it's him and Brad Appening, people like that, you know. Um, anyway, in, in, enough talk about that. I'm, I was just curious uh, your side of it. Um, but I haven't seen you three years. I, I want to give people a little bit of background. I, I do remember you're, you're, you're born, raised... New Orleans first, right? Uh, born in New Orleans, schooled in Baton Rouge, and then summers in New Orleans. So I always liked New Orleans way more. I want to be from New Orleans because I didn't like Baton Rouge, especially like, look at all the shit that's going on in Baton Rouge as we speak. Like yeah. all the the racial problems and the violence and the police and like it's a. It, I didn't like it there. I have very few good memories well, of Baton Rouge. It's, I don't know when I'm going to release this. I'm, I'm sure within a month from now. Yeah. Um, what is today? July. 17th? 17th, 2016. And Something like that. Today, when I woke up, there was an uh, check CNN, and sure enough, three cops got, seven cops got shot, and three are d confirmed dead. And one is critical, I think. Critical, yeah. And, and of course, tomorrow's the first day of GOP uh, convention in Cleveland for the next three, four days. Yeah, a good thing we've got Trump to rile up all the racists. Yeah. <laughs> But, that but, guy scares me. I really think that he's capable of genocide. I really do. I think it's, you look at Hitler's trajectory. Yeah. You know what I mean? His ability to just find all the hate in people and amp it up. Like, I feel like that's what Trump's doing right now. I don't, I don't know what to make of it, but I, I definitely don't like this election. And I just, I'm, I'm just want it to be over with. Yeah. I can't wait through the first week of November. Just be over. Tired of hearing this shit. Yeah, so, yeah. Um. So when you say school, you mean like college or like uh, elementary school and high school in Baton Rouge? Uh, Baton Rouge was um, up until I think sixth grade. And yeah. then I think in seventh or eighth grade, I moved up here. Okay. So yeah. What, what, so what, huge culture shock going from Louisiana to Seattle. <laughs> what, but what was like, why did you like your home in Louisiana? Not Baton Rouge. Well, so my dad was doing abortions in the deep, deep South. And so... You know, we were. Your dad's a doctor. Yeah, my dad's a doctor, and uh, right now he's working why, in emergency rooms. Why is that news rooms. to me now? I don't. I think I used to have stuff in my act about it, but I think it was so like low key, like way back when I was a rookie. I'm positive that that was one of the first jokes I had. I know. So. And he's very upset that I don't do those jokes anymore. But. <laughs> so. So your dad, dad was that's all he did, or was he a gynecologist and he just happened to women's do health. Women's health. Yeah. Uh, obviously not for the baby's health. All right. Yeah. Um, but, okay, I didn't, I may, maybe you told me, I, I don't remember, but, so he was doing that for a long time. Yeah, and uh, when he, did you uh, When did you know that, that that's what he was doing? Like, how old pretty, were you? Pretty young, because, I mean, when you're the baby killer's daughter, you're under constant attack, you know? So, like, pretty, pretty young. I, I don't remember ever not knowing 
you know, like, but the way that they explained it to me, I think, was that, like, you know, you're, uh, sorry, <laughs> you're the baby killer's daughter. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then they put me in a fundamentalist private Christian white flight school. Okay. So when they started doing rezoning for segregation, uh, people freaked out and opened up private white Christian schools and I got put in one of those because that's where I would be safest. Sure. Which meant I was bullied like a motherfucker every day by kids up to 12th grade because they were all in one soup, you know. But uh, so it sucked. And uh, but I remember. Wait, were you getting beat up? I'm, I was getting beat up. I was getting harassed. Um, I had to go to the principal's office constantly. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Um the woman that would drop me off at school who was like my caretaker nanny made everything she yeah. was just the the extra hands in the house uh she was black so everywhere that i went i was the n-word lover and if i wasn't that then i was mulatto and mm. so like you know what both of my parents are white but their kids in the south at christian private schools are dumb so yeah. so they just believed that i had a black mother and so like it just everything about it was terrible but um i'm trying to think there was a reason i was going to tell you that der, 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 der. Oh, I'm so hungover. Um, like, you was, know, it, was, was your parents, uh, were they religious? I always had a my mom question. was a pretty devout Catholic, but then was kicked out of the church for the abortion thing. And then... But uh, she wasn't doing it, but they were that critical? Yeah, yeah. But they were married. So, okay. And I think my dad was raised Southern Baptist. And then I was raised in the hippie church. So, you know, all about love and everything's great and truth and whatever and... The universe, all that stuff. Have you spoken to you? I mean, he obviously, he's, he's, if you're a doctor, he's a smart man, but he, he. Yeah, he's got five degrees, I think. He. he I'm sure it was not an easy decision to do that in South, right? No, uh uh. So if you, it's actually historical, you can look it up. His clinic was firebombed by these uh, crazy. Uh, right to lifers who you can Google it. You can see the photos. These guys look like just like central casting could not pick a better group of guys. They to caught be. the guys. They caught them. Yeah. And um, my parents had gone to a psychic and a psychic had told them that like they were going to catch him. And then sure enough, it was three months later, but they did catch him in the way they said that they would catch him, that they would get caught in the act. Um, was they, he ever physically hurt? Mm -mm. All the years he was no, but he was always armed. He was always extremely armed, and he had—I think he may have had a bulletproof vest, but I'm not sure. He—he he actually was going to do the job of the Pensacola, Florida guy that got shot. He was offered that job three times and turned it down three times. I don't know that. I don't remember that story. There was a there was an abortionist that was murdered in uh, Pensacola, Florida. So I noticed in pattern a pattern. Uh, they don't like evolutionist, <laughs> <laughs> and they don't like abortionist. I noticed that they don't like anything with AB and anything that's the opposite race. Yeah, sounds like I, I never met your dad, but he sounds like a pretty principled person. Kind of, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like, it, but he goes by his own rules. He has his own. He's he's kind of a Mad Hatter genius. He's so so smart that you know. He does shit his way, and if it's, it's his way or the highway, because he's just he—that's how he functions. You was know? he ostracized from his family for, for doing that? Uh, uh, no, because he was the first doctor in a bunch of generations of farmers. So I see. So yeah, and plumbers. So, did you guys move because things got really ugly, or? Yeah, basically, yeah. My mom divorced my dad because uh, there was a bad pattern of abuse, and then also. 
uh, he kept doing abortions after the clinic was burned and after they had agreed that he wouldn't do them anymore. He was driving into New Orleans to do them on the weekends. What, what I, mean, I mean, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but was he like physically abusive to your mom? Yeah. I mean, just I, I think that, you know, I think that he was raised in that like Southern way that's crappy, if that makes any sense. Like he had good parents, don't get me wrong. But like, I think that he was raised in that time where men do this stuff and women shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> so like when your wife's not shutting the fuck up, now you've got a violent person. And then of course the whole world comes crashing down yeah. and he quit smoking and uh, he just, you know, I kind of, I think some of it was ADD undiagnosed side effects, you know, like the, the angry outbursts and stuff like that. Can I ask you something? Because I think I, I didn't realize uh, this, some of these backstories, um, I mean, he's way better now, but like it was just at that time, you know. But it it must have dramatically changed your life because if you're a daughter of a doctor, you, you know you're upper class. So when your par parents divorce, well, not n not technically, like because uh, he wasn't good with money, so we weren't in the upper circles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like when I well, I lived in my been. car because of comedy, I lived in my car for a while. Yeah. And uh, when I told my dad I needed help, he gave me a recipe for tuna fish sandwich. Yeah. So, you know, it's Wait. not like he's. I mean, he he has done things like financed a car for me, but then I made the payments. You know, like so it's like it's like he's. But his help has not been what you would expect from a doctor. I would say, you know. You mean his financial help? Yeah. Yeah. Because so people are always like, "Isn't your dad a doctor? Yeah. Like, how are you homeless?" I'm like, "I I know." <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but no, my dad is doing his parenting now. It's kind of weird. So, you move, you, you, why did your mom decide to move to Washington? Does she have a family there? She has family here. And your dad remained in New Orleans or uh, Baton yep. Rouge? Or he, he stayed in going back and forth between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. I see. And is he still practicing? Uh, he's doing emergency medicine right now. No more abortion. Well, I guess it's not an issue anymore, would it? Abortion these days? All right, no, they're very dangerous still. Still in the South. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then in bizarre places too, but I'm not super familiar. Like even places where I wouldn't think so, like Kansas. Kansas is kind of a battleground for abortion, you know, like oh, where sure. people have to be escorted into the clinics and the staff, yeah. you know. So even in LA, there's people that volunteer to escort people into clinics. You know, you know? now that you mention it, I got rear-ended last July, uh, about a year ago. And it caused an abortion? No. Um, <laughs> this physical therapy place that I used to go in um, San Fernando, it's off of the Sepulveda, around, what the fuck? It's, it's in San Fernando, but I remember whenever I, w I, w I went there for uh, physical therapy on Wednesdays, there's like a lot, there's a like protesters for abortion. Like, I don't know why. They only choose to protest on Wednesdays for some reason. Maybe they only do abortion Wednesdays or something. I have no idea, but they were always there. And um, I sometimes forget that's a still issue with people, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it's, it's crazy to me that they, they're so certain that they're right when you don't know how difficult the decision was for the women, you know? Right. Well, and I mean, like when you hear it from my parents' side, I don't know how you could have all the hateful views that you have, that yeah. people have, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, they're giving 
um, abortions to 12 year olds who are being molested by their uncle and you know like so there are obviously there's obviously a loophole right right i mean like there's necessary evil lesser evil you know like yeah and it's and it's not anybody's place to judge i don't think that's the other thing too you know like people make their own decisions my my parents weren't running around with flyers going get an abortion get an abortion right. i mean they just opened a shop and people came and um they even at points had given abortions to protesters who came in on like they knew what days they were going to protest and so when they weren't protesting they would go in get their abortion and then sunday be right back in the picket line i see you know so like when you when you just hear about the hypocrisy of all of it and how deep it is it's really fascinating you know did did your dad take you to clinic before yeah i'd be i would yeah and then i also after the after the abortion clinic he opened a weight loss clinic after that one was burned down they were like all right well that's no more that and uh, I mean, it was a devastating multi-million dollar loss and uh, not insured. My dad had stopped. He'd like reduced the insurance to like 30 grand because he had a f an alarm system. So he was like, well, I've got an alarm. So they just figured he was doing something bad at the weight loss place. That's what they or just no, no, no. So that so after that, he opened a weight loss clinic and I would sit. I learned how to like as soon as I could do the alphabet, I was in there organizing medical charts. Yeah. You know, so that was what I remembered. Like to keep me busy, they would have me alphabetize stuff. Yeah. Wow. I, <laughs> so I thought you knew all this stuff. Maybe you just forgot. I, I honestly don't think maybe you. I don't remember having this conversation with you as yeah. long as I've known you. I don't, I don't remember. I, I do remember sometimes you might have had an issue with your brother or mom or something, but your dad, I don't, I have no recollection at all. It's not like I'm suffering from dementia. I, I just, for whatever reason, it just never came up. I totally. Don't think. So I had no idea. Um, I'm glad he never got shot. And I'm sure. I know you you travel the country done shows and um i i'm still astonished when there is such a vast difference in values in this country you know yeah yeah oh for sure yeah like when obama got elected i was convinced that he wasn't gonna win i was convinced because i was touring the whole country and it seemed like everybody was really racist and didn't want to vote for a black guy and yeah you know so when he won i was shocked i was legitimately shocked you know i i, I was too and Last election, it was between him and, and um, a Mormon guy. Yeah. I, I don't think it would have devastated me if, if Matt uh, uh, Romney would have won, but it would have been just another history-breaking incident, right? Like Mormon. Right. Because I think, honestly, I think they, they hate white Mormon guy more than the black guy, I think. Something about Mormonism, it just... I don't know why that superstitious group are hated by other superstitious people. I have no idea. It's just the fear of the unknown and things you don't understand yeah. and things that don't make sense to you and things that oppose your beliefs. You know, some people, I think we forget how, how, um, how, how dear people's beliefs are to them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like I, I, my beliefs are really important to me, but my beliefs are not tied to conventional organized religion. Sure. You know, so... You know, people, it's a house of cards. If you pull one of the cards, the whole thing falls. So people don't want to hear anything that's opposed to their beliefs. I don't know all the details. I've met tons of Mormons over the years. And my impression is I've never had an incident where, well, except for one comedy club owner. <laughs> but for the most part, they seem like pretty genuine and like they don't they don't bother me. And I don't remember too many Mormons picketing for like abortion clinic. It doesn't seem like that's what they would do that. 
I don't know. But they would, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's funny when other Christian people say they're not really Christians. I mean, that's the thing that, I don't know what, what makes them so different from others, but that's just something that they always remind me. Like, no, by, by the way, I just want to let you know, they believe in false whatever, right? Right. And it's like, I, I'm not into what you're into, so I, I, I don't know what to say. But, um, well, traveling the country, what, what do you think? Because I think, even for me living in LA, because doing tons of different shows in different parts of LA, you, we, I kind of got a pretty good sense of what LA is. You know, I've been all over the place. If you're a right. rich white person, you don't necessarily go to East LA. You know? Right, right, right. So doing comedy, I'm sure you've been places like you never really thought about going, right? Any surprises? Places that you like, places that you hate? Uh, well, I don't get along with the South real well. I mean, you could probably imagine why. Like, I feel like every time I'm on stage in the South, they're just confused. They're so confused by me. They're like, why are you so angry? Why don't you just get a nice boyfriend? And like, you know, what, 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 why are you so wordy? Why do you have so many thoughts? Do a half hour, an yeah. hour, I have to listen to this? You know, like, um, so I don't, I don't fight to work the South. I mean, if a gig comes up, I'll home, take right? it. I mean, technically because you're from Louisiana. It's my, yeah, it's my na nativity. Would yeah. you call it nativity? I don't know. It's, I'm a native. So, but, um, you understand the culture, obviously. I do. I do. Yeah, yeah. But, but to me, like but you when, bring when, different ideas that they're not used to. Right. And when hate is part of your culture, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like that, that's where I struggle. Like, I and gotta sexism say, too. Like, the South is extremely sexist, you know? I gotta say, I didn't have any incidents at all. My friends did, but I personally didn't. Um, I, 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 I haven't sensed racism. Did I raise? I don't think I have. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty insensitive during comedy too. So it's not like a little comment's gonna make me feel bad. But I, I will say, and this is not a really good podcast because you can't see. But really, if you want to summarize the South, um, number one is football. My college football, especially in the South, football is like the number one thing. In rural South, yeah, for sure. Number one, and like maybe in the mid level, is guns. Guns are like big. You know, like if 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 <laughs> if football is hundred percent hundred percentile. Guns are like maybe in a uh, seventy, right? And on the bottom, around ten, ten percentile. What's important is Jesus. I mean, to me, football. I mean, it's well, uh, but keeping appearances of Jesus is at the top. Oh, okay, Th good. Good you point. don't actually have to, you know, be into Jesus, but you have to keep the appearance of like country can't survive without Jesus. Country yeah. music, I mean. Well, like you take Jesus out of country music and, <laughs> you know, you lose your God family and country. I mean, so you're, you're telling me you only have problems with South when you're doing comedy show. But other than that, they seem pretty polite to me, I have to say. Well, they've probably never seen an Asian before. They're probably fascinated beyond, you know, fascination <laughs> is always bigger yeah. than hate. <laughs> like it's like you know when we used to go when we used to go uh, east with Gomez and just see the fantastic racism yeah, yeah yeah the fantastic racism that he would experience was just like did you see, I don't did, see this shit unless Gomez is around you know did you see it with him oh you, because when you were hanging out with him yeah yeah, yeah. like if like I opened give me him. give me an example well like and then, and then also also it's the stories like you know Tony and Gomez go to the Eastern Washington and everybody has to say 
I don't normally like black people, but damn it, you're funny. Or, yeah. you know, um, or, or they decide to leave as fast as they can because they're worried about their tires. Yeah. Or, you know, like, like they, it'd be better to get those examples from them. Did you, did you uh, have a casual conversation yet with Tony Daniel? It was casual. Because um, he's the one to ask for sure. He, um, <laughs> but he's Southern too. So I don't know what his barometer would be like versus, say, Gomez, who's got that East Coast thing going on. I, I try not to be too sensitive about it. Like I have um friend I have friends that they're you know, probably twenty years older than me. They will use the word Oriano around me. Yeah. And uh they they don't mean anything by it and and um I think if you talk, if you use that from a younger Asian or young generation, I don't know, I got I got the feeling that that's not the most proper way of referring to people that look like me for me i judge them based on uh, uh their intent and how old they are because that was a very common usage back then well know? and i think millennials these days have no they have no room for intent they don't care what your intention is you either get with it or get off you know yeah. like you're either well, that's why they're probably at the comedy show aren't they yeah, yeah yeah i i actually uh this is not like a thing or whatever but like i survived a pretty violent sexual assault when i was in my early 20s on the road and i wanted to do jokes about it at a room in town here yeah um and it's the it's it's changed hands now but like at the time the person told me that they didn't want me to go do the rape jokes there because the audience goes there to feel safe yeah and i'm like what like i'm the one that got fucking raped and what do they do they think i'm gonna rape them like why can't can we all just be grown adults and let me do this in a safe room? Isn't it a safe room? Like, I think, um, like you can't be too safe, and especially in comedy in general. Like, like there's been no support for me to do those jokes. I mean, there was one club that let me do it, but yeah. I scared the shit out of them. You know, I, I, I think um, I have to say, I, I think people laugh, so they think they automatically understand comedy, and two. They think if they laugh at that, they think it's okay to rape people. That's not uh, what we're trying to reach. And right. three, sometimes it's not about the audience because if you're doing it, for 100% sure knowing you, and I understand comedy, you're, you're not saying it's good that people get raped. First of all, for you, it's not just about getting laughed, but it's really about coping what happened to you during comedy? Kind it, of, not really. I mean, I went to I went to a, a fucking uh, what do you call it? Like a specialized therapist that yeah. only dealt with sexual assault, and yeah. that just kicked the shit out of all the issues I had. So that worked really well. Yeah. Um, and I think that. I think to me it was like I have something to say about this you yeah. know like especially when everyone's bitching about rape jokes and they're all bad well they're not all bad I mean there's some good ones out there and not just from the feminists sure you know what I mean like it, people should just be able to say what they want to say you know I think Stanhope talked about this and I can't do him um uh, I you know I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he was saying but basically sometimes he has audience member they're very upset by whatever the rape joke or whatever that um, thing that they don't want you to talk about. Yeah. Because they can be in public, um, be martyred over that something horrible happened to them. Yeah. And um, I know Stanhope, but that's not his intent at all, you know. And, well, uh, I don't know why he's getting so much shit. I mean, just because I, I opened for him when I was really young and... Uh, 
I think that he's one of the biggest feminists that I know just by his actions and his words. You know what I mean? Like, he's a big pro uh, uh, reason and being rational about it. Right, you know? right. Yeah, it's all logic. I mean, that's the thing. You may not agree with him, but it's hard to fault his logic. Right. And he's not, he's <laughs> not, he's not a malicious guy at all. No. And two, he's very thoughtful. And three, I think, you know, I've I, I worked in the sex business for a long time. And I, I'm sure you, uh, this is the mentality that people have that, that drives me crazy. But um, you, if you can't even make joke about sex... There are these parents will say stuff like, well, I don't want to talk to my kid about that. I don't want to talk to my kid about sex because it makes me uncomfortable. Well, you don't get pick and choose when you're fucking parents. You have to, you're a parent 24-7, that's it. And they're basically saying, because it makes me uncomfortable, I don't want to talk to my kid. And to me, you're exposing your kids to more danger because if you're not there talking to them about it, they're going to get information from elsewhere, and quite often, they're getting the wrong information. I think I really do think kids are watching porn. Of course, they're horny and they're curious, but and they're untethered. They're not being talked to, so they're they're going to wrong uh, third party for information. Like you know, a couple of days ago, Nice in in France, that nut drove all the fucking truck and killed a bunch of people. Yeah. And then uh, Peter Bergen is like one of my favorite expertise about national security. But he was saying that the 60% of inmates in France are Muslims, which is an amazing number because Muslims are only 8% of uh, population in France. Right. So what happened was if they don't have enough chaplain, we're talking about Islamic laws, Somebody's failing the information, right? Like if they don't have a proper uh, ethical, uh, kind, religious leader, they're going to get information from somebody else. Right. And getting a wrong information and wrong way to live. Well, it's not any more different with sex, you know, because why is it that when when we went to school, two things that they should be teaching us, how to deal with money and sex. I think that they're they're pretty big part, if you're being honest about it. Yeah. You, You get wrong information or no information well at all. and race at this point too like yeah. it's absurd at this point like the condition of our country you know do you and you you, you talked about like being uncomfortable having a conversation with your kids about sex I don't, like I don't, no no uh, but yeah. i mean that's what you're referencing yeah. is that it, it, you know it makes me angry when they if say people that. are uncomfortable having that talk imagine how uncomfortable it's going to be when you're sitting in front of a court and the press and everybody else watching your kid talk about how he fucking raped somebody you know like how uncomfortable rape. is that going to be yeah. you know like all these conversations, how uncomfortable is it going to be when it gets out of hand? Because you didn't step up. Yeah, and I, I, um, I know for a fact that when um, when the little boys are growing up, parents and other healthcare people would talk to their boys about penis, you know, you know, penis and testicles, and they would talk about that genitalia. But I, I, uh, over the years, talking and reading to, about books and uh, uh, generally like working adult business. I mean, you, it's the same shit over and over. Which is, girls growing up, like they don't they don't want to even talk to girls the parts of their genitalia, right? Yeah. So they're they're already growing up, can't even talk of parts of clitoris, labia, and, and vagina mm-hmm. and things like that. So they're they're already getting this impression that. You're not even supposed to talk about it. It's a shameful thing, right? Right. Well, how difficult is it? And it, I, I believe it's difficult 
when women get assaulted, they can't even talk about how they got raped because, you know what I mean? Like, they can't even talk about anatomy, for God's sake, right? Oh, right, right, yeah, totally. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. they're already in the uh, disadvantage point, you know what I mean? Like, even before the game started, you're already negative. You know, you're supposed to start in life, zero, zero. Hopefully, people prepare you, but they're in already in the fucking hole, you know? And um, I've been... I mean, this this kind of, this subject. I know it's it's a really weird way of looking at it, but um, I, I I did work in adult business, and um, you you which de- by the way has got to be the secret of your success from the ground up because that was always like a perk for you for other comics. It was like, oh, but Yoshi works at the sex shop. Yeah, you know. Or porn company. Or the porn place yeah. or, yeah, whatever it is. It's, it's it's evolved. Like, it's funny. That has evolved at the same time that your career has evolved. Well. You know what I mean? Like, just watching that happen. That stuff, I guess it got my name up there, but it, it never translated into a, <laughs> any, any success doing uh, show business stuff. I mean, it, it was fun, but I, I'm still astonished, like, if, if you're, the, you, the word pervert you get used a lot you know and growing up in japan and going into netherlands it it, you know what they think is perverted the fact that people are interested in sex and the fact that you've been thinking about it you get called pervert to to most japanese and i think dutch people think that's really that's the real perverted i mean it's just normal have those feelings you know right and I think this is kind of like a pattern tonight when we're talking about like your dad, women's health issue. I, I I don't know what's the percentage, but if those girls were giving adequate sex education, who knows? Maybe only half of them got pregnant. You know? Like, yeah. It's it's amazing. Like uh, even places like China, where there's over a billion people, and like that general education about sex. I mean, I read these funny cases where a married couple they didn't know why she's not pregnant. And they didn't. They didn't know the guy was supposed to put his dick in a girl's vagina. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm not making that up. I mean, you hear stories like this, you know, and that's how naive some people are. But it's. I mean, I know I learned about sex education in third grade. From school or from a book from my parents. Yeah, they didn't want to actually have the conversation with me, so they got that cartoon joy of sex type of book. But isn't it isn't it weird that uh, your dad is rational doctor? You would think it would be easy for him to talk about but um well no he's a southern man first (laughs) i understand that southern men do not talk to their daughters about gross things but i i have to say uh i don't i don't like that position because as a parent you want to prepare your kids to deal with the world the way it is not the way the world should be right and uh whatever the embarrassment or or uncomfortable situation Fuck all that. Your priority should be a ki- your kids, you know. Right. And uh, I don't know why. I don't know why that's that's overlooked. I think you know. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm. I think that's one of many reasons why I got vasectomy because as much as I didn't like some of my family members, I think I was a little bit more self-aware of them. I don't think I'm that much different in practice if I had a kid. Yeah. I I wish I could say like I would have been better than them, but. I really have my doubts. I'm nice to my uh, friends' kids and stuff like that, and I'm nice to my friends' pets. But if I have to take care of them day to day basis, yeah, I really have a doubts. I don't. I don't know. And I think it would have been wrong to get somebody pregnant 
run away. You know, I, I just uh, well, we've we've seen that happen to people that we know, and uh, it's pretty crappy. But uh, oh no, I just had a thought. Now I forgot what it was. Sorry, go ahead. Um, oh, I was just gonna say, I want to want, I want to want to have kids. I yeah. I don't want kids, but I want to want them. You know, like I I uh, I, I love being exactly an aunt. You know, yeah. like. I want to want them, but I don't want them, you know? So I think if I got pregnant, it would be a disaster because I think I would keep it. And then I think that everybody's fucked up. I'd be fucked up. The kid be fucked up. Because yeah. I don't want, the reason I don't want to be a parent is I don't want to do it poorly. Yeah, you can be half-assed, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so yeah. So that's why I'm sort of like, you know what? It's fine. Fuck it. I've even debated like, like when I'm in my 50s and if I, get, if I have my shit together, maybe I'll like adopt those teenage kids that are just on a <laughs> they're on a straight fucking path for shitty stuff and just maybe one last stop can help them you know because um, that's I think, who I was kind I, of. I know you're you have a younger brother Do you have a sister I think you have a sister right I have a half sister and a whole sister yeah what's your relationship with them um, I'm closer to my half sister and um, but she's uh, you know, we're still getting to know each other because I didn't know she existed before I was like 19, which is one of those things like your parents drop on you. Like, also, oh, by she, the way, there's another kid that shares your blood, <laughs> you know. Is she older than you? She's older than me. So so my dad basically, um, when my mother and him met, the, he had just very recently broken up with his girlfriend who neither of them knew was pregnant. At the time. At the time. Um. That's a, that was the situation with Tom Brady. I don't know if you follow football, but no, um, I mean I follow like football, like watching it, but not like the the drama behind. He the broke scenes. up with his girlfriend uh, before, uh, then after he met uh, Giselle Bündchen, but uh, the, the previous girl got pregnant. They didn't know when they broke up that they she was pregnant. Yeah. So yeah, um, but your hundred percent sister. Well. Um, you just not you don't does she have a kid I guess that she was has, my question she has she has uh, three kids and I love them to death and I I get them press pennies wherever I go it's like a souvenir to let them know that I'm thinking of them when I'm traveling but that's about like where my commitment to parenting ends is like I brought you a penny <laughs> but does she uh, does she have she, does she have a good relationship with her kids I think so okay that's good I yeah. think so yeah well my cousins and I all kind of made a pact that we would not continue abuse in our lives or in our bloodlines that yeah. we would stop it so um because it was kind of a family-wide epidemic type of thing yeah you know i i haven't obviously my dad died 13 and a half years ago but i think maybe two or three trip before that don't you have a family again and um it's weird i mean he was my dad but he wasn't really part of my life for so long so maybe that's part of the, part of the reason I have such an issue with authority for most part. Yeah. I have I I'm cool with authority if they're principal and and they practice what they preach and uh they're stand up people, but quite often a lot of them are not, you know. Yeah. And um he said like don't you want your kids and like no, you mean like the way you had your family, you know? It's um I don't know. I'm Who are you having a kid with because I've never seen you with a girlfriend. I just thinking about it. I've yeah. never. I don't think. Maybe I have, but I don't. If I have, I don't remember. You I, know what I mean? It doesn't really last that long. It's always been hush hush because I don't like. I'm beginning to start talking about personal stuff. Now at 47, but at least I gotta tell you, it it really t took me a long time talking about shit. You know, like I was in a, this podcast DVD essay three years ago, 
and um, you know there there's certain people that if you tell them personal information they'll turn around and use it against you and like I couldn't really defend myself and like um, I wouldn't say I was hiding stuff on the side but I just uh, especially with the comedians I, I really didn't feel comfortable talking about that stuff so I kind of separated the two yeah and, um, well I think a lot of us do that you know you go to shows but you don't bring your partner you know like I've been bringing my boyfriend which is weird for me but like well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy I mean, to have him there it's just it's strange because I never really brought boyfriends around you know it doesn't really last that long to, to be frank and um, I mean it's sad to say but the longest thing that ever lasted for me was like nine months ten months and yeah. that was like you know torture <laughs> not torture but you look at you look back some of the things that they were complaining you didn't see at the time but years later when you think and you're being honest with yourself like oh sh fuck maybe maybe, maybe she, i am an she, asshole you know, sometimes it will i was um was i the asshole to her i don't know i was very stubborn i'll say that much yeah for others Others for sure, but I didn't really take it that seriously, you know, back in those days. Because like, for me, it's like there's two categories of people. There's people that I love very much and that um, make me want to be a better person. But then sure. there's the other category is just complete fucking degenerates that I'll date because I don't want to be serious and I don't want to love. So I date fucking... <laughs> fantastic pieces of shit really you know but it's because it's on my terms it's like I don't give a shit about this I think it's different you, if you care about a fantastic piece of shit you don't have to tell me how many boyfriends you have I'm not interested but just give me the percentage how many of them every every relationship in the beginning is great you feel great this right. Is, right but what's the percentage of one you looking back why why did I pick that person I think it's clearly they're they're uh, bad for you. Okay, so you say you you understand football analogy, right? Right. Okay, so when you have a great quarterback like Tom Brady's of the world, Aaron Rodgers, arm strength, accuracy, even with all the defenses around, they're able to throw the ball to the wide receiver. Amazing. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm not really interested in that. What I find interesting is when you have a quarterback that actually threw the ball where there's not even wide receiver. Ended up throwing to their defensive back, right? Right. And the reporters or uh, announcers say, "What the hell did he? What did he see? What did he see to for him to do that?" Right? Yeah. Same thing. I have to say. Sometimes when I see my friends' daughters, they're dating some guy. Like, what the fuck does she see in this guy? Because it's it's even clear when I meet them, and I haven't heard anything bad, but. <laughs> I don't know about girls, but like when I meet those guys, like I could tell, like, oh my god, this is this going to be a problem. Yeah. So, well, some people have no standards. Like, no one instilled standards. Is that what it is? is no it one instilled standards in me. Like, if you're going to go out with a guy, that guy should be on time. He should pick you up. He should what? You know what I mean? Like, he should what, call what, you what, before he goes what, to bed, what, what, or you know, what, like what's... I had to figure that shit out by reading stupid self-help books. But why do you think? Uh, that that's that's been like the big one of one of like ten mysteries of the world. I, I really want to know why, because there are certain women who are amazing at picking partners and marrying well. Yeah. Um. I forgot her name. I've never met her, but uh, Eddie, do you know Eddie F, the comedian, right? Mm -hmm. 
It's one of his um, former neighbor, and she's filthy rich. She's filthy rich. She married two times in a row executive a media company and like I'm, I'm sure every time she divorced them she received tens and twenties and forties and fifties of millions of dollars right yeah. in fact I think in 97 and 98 there was a disaster Mount Everest and they made a couple movies based on it but she was the rich lady making the poor people literally drag her up the Everest or they oh should <laughs> should have just come down because it's too dangerous but that was that lady right but I haven't met her, but uh, a woman like that always picked the right guy, always married well. And I have friends that, that they were raised really well, father's wonderful, they have a great marriage, but for whatever reason, these girls always pick abusive boyfriends, you know? It's not like they, they grow up with a shitty uncle or dad then I could kind of understand that because you don't you don't have a point of reference of a, a good right, man. Right, right. What, what, what drives me crazy is if you if both of the parents are married, they're happy, the father doesn't do anything bad to the daughter and just uh, loving, why these, what did they, why these girls ended up being attracted to these abusive guys? That's the part like, I'm, I'm not a girl, obviously, so I don't know what's going on. What do you have any? I mean, I, it's either it's either low self esteem or just not knowing any better. It's you know, it, it's possible to literally not know any better. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, for for God, I had for me like uh, I got dumped not that long ago on my birthday. Yeah, two years ago, and um, and it's a good thing I did because I met my current boyfriend yeah. right after that. But uh, or not right after, but after that, and then. Um, who actually was my boyfriend from when I was 12 until I was 14. Same Is guy. Is that right? Yeah, same guy. And um, so, like, he saw some of the worst parts of my life, for sure. It yeah. was front row seat for that. But, um, but uh, I see, I, so when I'm hungover, I always lose my train of thought. I don't know if that's an ADD thing. I'm no, going no, into, no. I'm going in to get diagnosed on Monday, but... Uh, as, as it stands, I'm untreated. <laughs> so my thoughts just fly away when I'm hungover. But, um... Well, let me let me ask this. Like, okay. if you could talk to eighteen-year-old Alicia, what would you tell her? Like, there must be things that you learn over the years. Like, I wish I would have known this, or I should have done this every time something happened. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard because I started comedy when I was twenty-one, so so much of my decision making has evolved around um, comedy. Yeah. Like, does this work with comedy? Like, if this doesn't work with comedy, fuck it. I don't want any part of it, you know? Dating a douchebag, does that fit with comedy? It does, because I can come home, date a douchebag, and if that guy is not there when I come back in three weeks, whatever. Yeah. You know, because he's a douchebag. Who cares? No heartbreak. You know, it's very easy to excel at comedy when you don't have to deal with heartbreak and things like that. Sure. Although, that's where all the good shit is, too. Have you had a situation where some guy that you were dating years ago, he, he was a jerk? Then you meet them, they actually kind of change for better. No. Or they even apologize. Oh, so that's never been. Huh. Uh-uh. No, but I mean, like, you can have, like, a. Any, any, you can any, have a real solid, respectful understanding with an asshole. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we don't care about each other. Okay. Okay. We understand that. Okay. You know, like, there's. It's, 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 it's a different type of dynamic, but. That is more you know, preferable, isn't it? When they're, at least you know where he stands and they're being honest about it. Yeah. 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 I'm fucking other people. Okay. 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 <laughs> like, all right. 
glad we all are on the same page. I, I would just prefer someone who is unapologetically who they are over yeah. anything else. You know, if you're an asshole and you're unapologetic about it, I can appreciate that. I, I, I completely understand what you're saying because I'd rather say all this horrible stuff on stage and if that turned people off, that just saved me time because I don't want to pretend to be nice and over a period of time they get to know me and they get upset with me. I'd rather be kind of not necessarily uh, over the top rude and malicious, but like it's better like I let everything out on podcasts. Yeah. And, this, and, and I have had people say to me like, I really didn't want to talk to you because I thought you were a jerk. And uh, when they met me, like, whatever, you know. Like, Why? Because you're reserved or? No, no. Like, sometimes I think when people are dating, they, they only show their best side. But uh, only you will only see that person truly most of the time. Yeah. Given some time, you know. But I think it saves everyone's time if you know exactly where you stand, in, in, you know. Yeah. From Maybe it's not a practical because maybe just out just turns so many more people away from you. But. That was one of the last things that Mikey D said to me, Mike D. Stefano, which people should check out because he's so funny. But um, the Wait, funniest. Is he, is he the dead guy? He's the dead guy. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, he's the dead guy. <laughs> he's a dead guy. I mean, um, I, don't, I mean, we I, have I, a lot. Of, we have a lot of dead guys. I don't. I didn't mean like disrespectfully, but but wasn't he HIV positive? Yes, and he was open about it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, well, I don't know if I've ever met him. I just thought it was sad because he was finally getting shit. Uh, uh, like he was getting. Gigs. I think he was in uh, Last Comic Standing or mm -hmm. something, right? Yep. It sounded like he was really doing well. Then then sickness just got to him. Yeah, and he was also doing a double album. And he did not... Sickness did not get some... Well, he had, had a huge heroin thing before he was like... I think it started when he was 12. And so I think he spent a good decade as a heroin addict. Is that how he got HIV? Uh, HIV Which I believe is how he got HIV. Yeah. But um, he, you know, he tells all these stories on the Marin interview that was really interesting. And then uh, also he has some moth stories that are really interesting where he talks about his wife that died of AIDS. And um, Oh, so he did that storytelling uh, yeah. group. Yeah, he's a see. fantastic storyteller. I mean, like, and I feel really blessed because he paid me to open for him at a Narcotics Anonymous convention, yeah. which was hilarious because everybody after I got off stage was like, are you sure you're not one of us? And I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, really not to drugs. Yeah, I <laughs> you know, but like alcohol, very into alcohol. I could sure. very well land myself in an AA meeting in the how very do, near do, future. Uh, um, for, for listeners that didn't know, I don't know a whole lot. I just remember, I don't even know where I heard about him. I think maybe the first time I heard about him was actually Open Anthony show. Okay. And, and he was very, very honest. I mean, he's been dead, what, like five, six years by now? No, I don't think so. I think it's three. That's it. I think so. Maybe uh, maybe it's maybe it's five. I don't know. You might be right. My memory is like the last three years have been one year in my brain. Yeah. You know? But, um, but the thing about Mikey that I was grateful to see was that I saw him do an hour plus at an NA convention. And you'll never find a better audience than a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. And uh, as far as like you can push it, you can go, you can, you can show them all your uglies. They're, they're fine. They're totally yeah. good with it. And they appreciate it, you know? So, but watching him do an hour and 15 where it was stand up, but it was also his Narcotics Anonymous story. Sure. Mind-blowing. I mean, like, if I could have recorded that night, I'm sure he would be a household name. You know, like, it was amazing. Was he... Um, I mean, what, what was he like? Person Was he a pretty cheerful guy? Uh, he was very happy, but I wouldn't say cheerful. He, he was... Can his he whole, get a little moody? Um, I think so, but not, like, in a damaging way. Yeah. You know? 
It was really weird. The last time I saw him, we um, he picked me up, drove me to Jersey. We did some shows, came back, ate at a diner, and then he drove me home. And in that amount of time, like just eating with him, he was so, so, so unusually quiet. And yeah. I was like, I was like, are you all right? Like, you're so quiet. And he was like, I'm great. He's like, I'm, I'm at peace. You know, I'm quiet because I'm at peace. Like, I am so good. How much time after that uh, he died? Uh, A month later. Or three weeks, three or four weeks. Holy shit. Yeah. And he, I, I feel like, I, I'm one of the people that thinks that he knew he was going to die. His heart gave out or exploded or whatever. It was a heart condition was what he died of. But that's common, apparently, among people that are recovering heroin people. With AIDS too, right? I mean... I don't think AIDS causes heart problems, but I could be wrong. No, no, I mean... Oh, no, I mean, I don't mean... He was already... <laughs> I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying he was already ill because of that, right? Because... He was HIV positive. He did not have AIDS. Okay. He had some... They were studying his... Um, they were studying him because he was resistant. And they were trying to figure out why he hadn't right. made the change into AIDS. Because both of my former bosses are HIV positive, but they take whatever the medication they take. They were saying that uh, their level is so low that it's almost undetectable that they have. I mean, obviously, if you have it once, you have it for right, life. Right. Uh, they haven't found a cure, but whatever the medication they're taking, that 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 their level of HIV is so low, it's almost undetectable, they were saying, you know. And uh, Well, I think, I, I just, I think uh, nano, all this nano medicine that they're yeah. fucking with right now, I think that that's going to cure so many problems like that. I think they're just going to go in and rebuild people at a cellular level. Yeah. So I, I guess I was wrong because I thought HIV went to AIDS and, and um, you know, when you have AIDS, like uh, pneumonia, some other combination of illness yeah pneumonia always takes them out yeah yeah that, that's why but i didn't know it was something else i had no idea i, I didn't i didn't i might have met him casually once yeah but um i just heard people say he he it was just sad because he was funny you know possible shows and he was selling out and you know things were going well for he was him. literally at his prime i mean he was about to shoot the fuck off and to yeah. start him i swear to god he was he was right there he was right there. Did you know his wife? Uh, the one that died? No, because yeah. that's when he was in his 20s. And she she had it. Is, was it a complication of HIV or what, what did she die of? I believe so. I see. Yeah, my memory is pretty fuzzy. I believe so, though. Yeah, it was if it wasn't. Yeah, I think it was complications in the hospital. But he like the last time I saw him, he started giving me advice after advice after advice and I opened my computer like when I found out that he died and I like wrote it all down so I wouldn't forget it because it was so fresh in my mind but you know he was definitely a uh, a mentor of mine and was always extremely protective of me how much older know? was he from you gosh I don't know I think he also looked older than he was but I think that he was I think he was coming up on 50 I'd have to look it up honestly I'm not yeah. sure he had silver hair and I think he had silver hair young so that throws it off yeah you can never when people have silver hair I don't know how old they are I have no idea I know I just remember I've never heard anyone say anything bad about him and he was uh, a good fucking dude yeah and um sorry to hear I didn't know you knew the guy yeah, uh, yeah it's weird I've had some of the the best mentors and I've just sort of switched hands but you know many of them were not famous I mean Stan Hope when I opened for him was at like legend status he was this guy you heard about but you weren't familiar with him when, when, you know when, when was it that God, well he picked out my first headshots and I think my first headshots were in 99 so I think yeah because I started in 98 
and then so I was on the road by so, 99. Okay, obviously, he'll recognize you, right, if you met. Yeah, uh, yeah for yeah. sure. I stayed at his house when I went to get my teeth fixed. When was the last time you saw him? I think that was then, yeah, when I got my teeth fixed. Yeah, I just saw him maybe three months ago, two months ago in L.A. when he was doing the book signing thing. Yeah. And uh, you know what's weird is you and I know Stan Chan. Yeah. Very funny comic. I haven't seen him in forever. I love that guy. He's funny. He's great. And he loves Atel. I do too. But he likes Atel even more than I do, you know. And I'm a lot more darker. So it's always surprised to me that Stan Chen ended up working many times with Stan Hope. I've never done that ever with. I'm in fact, I've never done a show with Stan, uh, Stan Hope has been on. Yeah. And he's never. I've seen him perform many times. But he's never seen me. But I ended up working with Atel. I mean, literally hundreds of times. You know. But it's weird sometimes that uh, how your comedy career thing happens because you just never know. You know, I would think like, oh, this comedian A will be perfect for Alicia, but. It doesn't work out, and she ended up working with somebody like, wow, I, I would have never guessed, you know, um, and places that she could work that I think she'll be great in uh, ABC City and ABC State. Nope. She's she's selling sell out rooms in places like I could have never. It's just it's very unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. Because if somebody would have told me seven years ago I I do okay in, in, in uh, Scandinavia, I wouldn't there's just no way, you know. But, oh, my God. Uh, I would love to go to Scandinavia. I would love to go anywhere. I've only done uh, Canada, Mexico, and the Bahamas and the U.S. <laughs> like dying to get off this continent. I want to do military tours. I want to do so many things. I, I think you get, as soon as you get your health back, I think I think you'll be fine. It just, um, yeah, your, my, your, your head have to be in the right place, you know. Yeah. And, um well, it's been a long time since I've been forced to adapt to a new situation. And I think that that's where my biggest growth always happens is when I'm forced to adapt to a new situation. Have you had a chance to do a, lot, a steady amount of comedy recently? or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still working. I'm just not working at the rate that I was. I was 100% full time. Yeah. And then I got these crazy energy drops and I couldn't figure out why I was exhausted. Now I know it's sleep apnea, but I was so exhausted and the doctors were like, well, you need a vacation. And I'm like, well, I can't take a vacation. And they're like, and you need eight hours of sleep. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to get eight hours of sleep when I'm getting home at two in the morning and I have to wake up at six for radio? Yeah. And then, you know, or you have to take the cheapest flight because the cheapest flight by $75 is at 4 a.m. Yeah. You know, like, and so that means you have to fucking get up at two and get to the airport. And, you know, so it's like comedy is a recipe for schizophrenia. I swear to God, it's just it, it can erode everything that you have. It it's um it is very it can be very lonely, and I have to say, you know, we have some comedian friends of ours. It's not in the most healthy lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, only reason why I I've been to maintain like my weight issue. Because I did this medical testing, like I, I, it drives me crazy. I, I, I will literally go from 188. Then when I get out of study, 25 days later, I'm literally like 165. No kidding. Yeah, it's not really. Are you losing muscle? Or are you just losing fat? Or how's that working? I guess fat, but a lot of those studies. Of course, I have friends like they want to lose weight. They think it's so great to go medical lab, but it's really hard because they literally cut your diet. And you, you, if you leave, you don't get your, you, you, you know, you can't continue on. You can't get make your money that you want to make. Yeah. But um, 
Man, the hunger thing. God, it just, it just drove me crazy. I got out of like, I, I just finished Wednesday. And and I finished June 16, staying there for like 25, 26 days. And of course, I, I gained most of the weight back. But last four or five days, I started losing weight again because not the location. I don't, want, I don't know where to get food sometimes. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just walk around more. But um, yeah, it's it's crazy month ago I was 165 and three years ago I was 217 that's 50 pounds difference yeah right and uh, well you look good though you don't look sickly but um, the blood thing kind of scared me I, I have to be honest with this They're like yeah there's he, he just said my blood is not in within normal range whatever that means you know yeah but, yeah but I will continue doing the medical lab because I really don't want to get nine to five job it's kind of nice when people call me last minute. I could go anywhere to do shows, but um, yeah, it's 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 my stubbornness. I guess I could do a cleaner show, but but you don't have to. Yeah, and that's it's like celebrities. Just, they don't have to have a funny opener. They don't have to. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's so. I guess what I'm trying to say that the last three times I'm up here. It brought a little bit of energy burst back doing shows because um, I do have comedian friends, but I don't know how to explain it. The people are nice down there, but it's nothing like the people that I remember up here. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how to explain it. And well, I, we started in like a golden age of of comedy. Really, well, people are nice, right? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like people in LA is not nice, but. It's just different. I don't know how to explain it. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but it's everybody's at work 24-7. So that's that's the best way, I think, to summarize L.A. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, everybody is like, I am at work. So, I'm, of course, I'm going to be nice. I am at work, you know? And then you do form friendships. But, you know, it's some of those friendships are just business friendships. They're really just, we call them friendships when they're really coworkers, if that makes sense. Yeah, you I know? made some pretty good friends, but a lot of them... I'm genuinely happy to see people that I haven't seen in a long time. <coughs> Excuse me, in in, in the Seattle area. So, I was I was really happy about that. I'm glad you answered the phone because I I was supposed to go see Billy at the Comedy Underground. Oh yeah. And I thought he was going to be there until four. I got there late. I'm, I'm, maybe he's pissed at me, but he left earlier, so I didn't get to see him. But um, I was just walking around to see if I could meet a couple more people every day. You know, try, I, I, I'm glad I got to see you. Yeah. Tomorrow I will see a couple more people I haven't seen, you know, and I leave on Thursday. But beside my friends before comedy, this has really been pretty damn good trip. I enjoyed it. So um, you're still good with time still? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I am currently available. <laughs> all right. Let me take a few minute break. I'll put a pause for a second. Okay. Okay. So we'll come back. All right, we're we're back. Uh, let's just, just maybe fifteen. Wow, well, well, a few more minutes, a few more questions, and we're done. So, where where are you now? I mean, right so, now I'm in Seattle. No, I me. Mean, in your life, like you're you're getting your health back, right? Getting my health back. Still a few bumps in the road. Um, 
But, uh, you know, like I'm last year I was going to the doctor three, four times a week because I had all a team of people that I was working with. And now it's a little bit more like a couple, two, three a month, you know, like it's way better. And uh, so, yeah. They didn't diagnose you correctly. Right. Right. They they misdiagnosed me left, right and center. Like at one point, because I was exhausted, that was depression. Yeah. Uh, So they put me on Wellbutrin. I went crazy. And then that's antidepressant. And that's the antidepressant. And we figured out that my brain rejects SSRIs. So, What's that? Um, Wellbutrin and Prozac, it's a specific kind of what, some, something, serotonin reuptake inhibitor, something like that. Something like that. Okay. Something like that, yeah. Anyway, SSRI and um, antidepressant. Yeah. And um, we've learned that that whole family is just not good for me, you yeah. know. And um, and so and and then on top of that, I drank on top of it. So then I went nuts. And so but the good thing about drinking because on top uh, of alcohol it, is it's already uh, it's a bad well, idea for it. It's anti not antidepressant. It's it's a downer, right? I yeah, but um, I just went completely off the. I I went manic. Yeah. So, you know, just fucking crazy. And at one point when I drank on it, I I was literally in the yard hiding behind a tree, acting like a ninja with a bottle of Prosecco. Like, I mean, just completely off my, just gone, gone completely, you know. And um, so then I I had my first uh, emergency uh, psychological evaluation at Harborview at four in the morning. And uh, literally. (coughs) Excuse me. Where the hell was that? That was, um, that was in Seattle at Harborview. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't like what? What do they call it? Like fifty-one fifty, right? No. Well, that's it, when the state deemed you're not capable of making. No, the- I wasn't fifty-one fifty, but I was told by a therapist that I either needed to go in myself or that they would call the police to bring me in. Even though your real problem was it sleep was, apnea, it was a physical, not psychological. Correct. I'm sure that's not the first time they misdiagnose, you know, like yeah. that, that kind of story just drives me crazy. Yeah. Well, and here's what we figured out is that um, I, I didn't know this, but apparently uh, sleep apnea can mimic bipolar syndrome. I didn't know that. So they say that if you're not responsive to SSRIs or whatever medications they're giving you, if it's not fixing whatever your problem is, yeah. you should have a sleep test because it's possible that really you just need a decent night's but sleep. How much time did it pass from the day you noticed there's not right and they've diagnosed you correctly? How much time were you talking here? Easy two years. Jesus Christ. So you ended up wasting two years? Yeah. 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 I mean, I was still working, but I was like, just, I was working, I was doing the work that was coming to me, but I wasn't doing the hustle to generate more work. And, uh, and I was, you know, still doing things like I'm lucky cause I have a couple NACA conventions coming up. So I have a chance to, you know, really fill my calendar that way. Yeah. But, um, and I like colleges. I know people shit on them, but I like colleges. It's funny because as much as I can't stand millennials in the real world, I love them at colleges. It's very weird, you know? Well, that's really weird because I think most comedians, it's really tough for them to do college gigs these days because there's all these trigger words to upset people. You yeah, know? but I don't think I really do trigger words. And if I do, I do them in a way that is, uh, that's one thing I learned from, from Stanhope is make it something that nobody can argue with, Yeah, you know, but, uh, but having said that, I'm not what I would call a logic comic. I'm, I'm definitely a heart comic. I'm, I'm talking to people from my heart. You know, like, sure. and just trying to make the rest of it, whatever, but good for you. Because I, I know that um, Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock talk about they, they refuse to do college gigs now because... Because um, they heard it's bad. Not it, that they experienced it being bad. They heard it was bad. I think Seinfeld is probably like he heard it probably bad. But my impression was Chris Dick probably a couple shows and like he got tired of like... It, it didn't hurt his feeling. <laughs> it just I think he just got fatigued by that, you know, 
fake outrage and I don't know the way younger people respond. Yeah, I mean they're definitely PC. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think that I really break any PC boundaries. Yeah. Like if I talk about rape, it's going to be in a way that does not contribute to rape culture. And sure. If I talk about abortions, it's going to be a way that doesn't get into whether you agree or disagree with sure. them. And you know, I guess you could say that's cheating, but. I, I mean, I've been told that when people watch me, they're like, how the fuck do you get away with all that? And I'm like, I just, I don't know. It's common sense. I don't I, know. I think that's when you have skills, right? Because if, if you look at some of the darker and filthy comics and if you just written everything on a piece of paper and you read it. Yeah. If you just read it, of course, even with my stuff, if I just look at the note, it looks looks terrible, incriminating. Right. If I, uh, and this is me writing my stuff, right? Right. But I think the art of stand-up is you're, if you're that kind of comic, you could say some horrible stuff without them disliking you. Right. That's the experience of doing that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I had one of my friends, this idiot, um, he got in trouble for saying something on podcasts. Well, you know, I hang out with Yoshi and then and, and, uh, I guess he had an influence on me. But it's dumb to try to blame me because... I have been in the rooms where when I say something horrible, they get mad. I experienced that. So I kind of learned to say something horrible over the period of times from that kind of experience. You learn each time like, okay, I need to make a little bit of adjustment here and there. Or, right. You know, then you kind of learn. That's why when people say, how do you get away with it? Well, it's called experience. And learning to do it better, you know? And it's also a comfort level, too. Like, the yeah. fourth time you told a rape joke, you're not going to f- have as much fear as you did the first time. Right. And that fear, the, the audience detects fear like sharks. They, if, if, if they don't, you know? if, if, they, if they don't think you look comfortable, they, they, don't, they feel like they should be comfortable with it, yeah. you know? They get uh, nervous for you. Sure. Um, well, I'm glad you're doing college gigs, and I, I know that... Um, of course, I haven't seen you three years, but just even talking to you before the show, you did sound healthier and optimistic. Yeah, know? no, things yeah. things are definitely trending upward for me. I just, you know, it's just weird. You go from being full steam to having a medical problem, and then you're just completely stopped. You know, right. but it, but it's weird is that I never stopped. It's just that I have this empty calendar. It's you know, it's hard to explain, but like, I mean, I still get calls for gigs. I still do gigs. You know, I'm gigging. Um, I'm always going to be a stand-up comic. I can't imagine yeah. doing anything else. You know? I, I, I do get sometimes I definitely have during the conversation when they're talking to me like crazy that word used get used a lot you yeah. know for example but people don't people are not very self-aware like I do that medical testing for money right yeah yeah so of course when I tell comedians they think it's funny it is funny to some extent I haven't had any bad re- experience yet but i was telling this guy at the party that <laughs> i make a living taking drugs and there's ae adverse effects side effect mm-hmm. uh, it can happen and this guy was telling me man you, you you're crazy to do that he said that to me while he was ready to snort coke right and i <laughs> and like I'm not going to snort coke, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I don't take any drugs, I'm getting fucking paid for it. You know, that's my position now, but people have a different notion of what's dangerous and crazy. Like, whatever you do that is crazy to everyone else, but you think that's normal, you just don't think it's crazy, Yeah. you know? To a normal people, going up on stage and talking to everyone in the room, trying to make them laugh, I think a lot of people probably think it's crazy because 
most people don't like public speech and stuff not alone uh, not only are you making speech in front of everyone but you're trying you have obligation to make them laugh you know yeah but you just your desire has to outweigh your fear it's that yeah. simple it's that simple and the comedians don't are you more scared or do you want to be a stand-up more which one's more yeah you and know i think i think if you're a comedian talking in front of an audience is not a big deal but um so what's um What's uh what's your uh like a plan for like do you have any like a major plan for like where you want to be a year or two, five years? I mean Yeah, well I'm actively just now getting my calendar filled up again, starting to I like I I opened up my avails sheet and I was blown away. I hadn't even done my avails in a year. Like yeah. it's been such a big part of my life. You know, you write down your dates and your dates you're open and your dates you need work and your dates you're booked and where you're booked and I've I haven't even done that in a year. So. You mean you mean you mean like you're talking about like at the comedy store or are you talking about like the weekends that you wanna like get pay gig? My road work, my okay. pay gig, yeah. And I've been headlining without T V credits, which is amazing. I mean like like I, I now I have uh, the I am road comic credit, which is really cute. People should watch that if no one's seen it. I, I think it. seen, it's in on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It just got hit Netflix like a month or two ago. I think in May. So, yeah, it's I'm only in it for thirty seconds, but that's my credit right now. Um, <laughs> that's my big credit right now. And then I've been doing a ton of local TV. That was one conscious decision that I made was that if I was not going to be on the road, then I would be somehow furthering my career. And so I've been doing. We have a we have a late night show here, and we have a daytime talk show here, and I've been doing both of those. So they've been really kind about bringing me. What in. is what is like a, like on the NBC or uh, which? Actually, coincidentally, yeah, they're all on NBC. King I don't 5. know why it's not on NBC because. Th- th- what was the show that they used to film only in Seattle? Almost, almost Live. Yeah. So, okay, so Almost Live, which was basically like a Saturday Night Live in the 80s and 90s, right? But that was only for Pacific Northwest, right? Or right. Was, it, was it only in Seattle? I can't remember. I think it was only in Seattle, but okay. I don't know for sure. But uh, the new one, the new version of it is, so Pat Cashman and John Keister and all those guys were the crew way back when. Chris Cashman, who is Pat's son, has done a reboot in it. The first one was called the 206. And then uh, it. How be- funny. Yeah. That's our area called in Seattle. Yeah. 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 And then um, once the 206 became popular, which is funny, you read YouTube comments and all that stuff, and people are just so quick to talk shit. It's so hard to make a TV show, and you read people like, it's fucking stupid, whatever. And uh, I'm glad they canceled it. Well, they didn't cancel it. They they stopped it and they rebooted it as a Northwest show instead of a Seattle show. So I now see. it's in. Idaho and Alaska and it's called Up Late Northwest but uh, yeah so I, I had my first uh, my first TV stand up thing which was a really good learning experience and yeah. uh, we had to film it in front of a studio audience and something happened to the audio so I had to do it again yeah. which is fucking death I mean, all of the cats are out of the bag. Everybody knows what's coming. There's no, you've lost your element of surprise 100%. And you're, you're shitting yourself. Yeah. You're like, I can't believe that. So yeah, so I have to, like the worst thing that could happen did happen. And so now that that's happened, I'm fucking ready to do TV. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what could be worse than that? And I, I've already I, been I through it. I remember doing um, uh, Comics Without a Border for Russell Peters. Yeah. And there must have been like 30 of us, right? And of course I find out I'm the first one to go. Yeah. And I think we were taping like 3 or 4 p.m. to do a stand-up. And that's never a good time to do shows. But yeah, um, y- you kind of learn. And I also... Do, do you watch Game of Thrones at all? I do. Okay. And um, my friend Eddie Wan, I haven't seen him, but he has that show, Fresh Off the Boat. And oh, I okay. Think, Season one, um, I don't quite remember, but I guess they were not making a show 
to his satisfaction because it's his story, right? Yeah. So he was mad, and then I don't I don't know how how that was resolved. Maybe maybe he's cool with it right now. But what I learned from um, George R. R. Martin, he has a two showrunners doing that show on HBO, and basically he had a list issue with it converting the book into TV show because in early on in his career he worked on a bunch of different TV shows. Oh really? Yeah. Oh like I didn't a, a, know that. Amazing stories and things like that. So he understand. I'm sure he doesn't like it sometimes because it is his story, but sometimes story that you have when you're trying to convert it in, in a TV format, you're not going to get exactly the way you want it. It, it could be budgetary reason or time or, or um, you know, all kinds of things that like make it really difficult. You know, if you make a movie about Old Testament for two hour movie, you're not going to have every story. You know, you have to make a story. You have to make a decision. We, we want this story, but we have to cut this and that. And if you're the creator of the story, you know, you lose control over that. So that, that, that must have been frustrating. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is if you're doing stand-up, you just learn on the way, like, oh, I didn't know if things doesn't go well, this is, this is what's going to happen to me. And you kind of learn through all this pain. And, right. You know, you're just never going to have it exactly the way you want it. I'm sure even if you had a killer set, a couple of days later you thought, like, fuck, I should have told another joke. You know, you know what I mean? It's just... It's it's just just a painful learning process. You, you you know you're gonna keep moving forward in your career, but there's gonna be times. Yeah, it's just not gonna go exactly the way you want it. You well, know? and that's how I feel about my second album that I just recorded, where it's like I was undiagnosed sleep apnea. I was still my brain was still real wonky from the the SSRIs. Yeah. So it was like I was off of them, but the the process of getting off of them, like I would still feel like a little bit of a weird tweak. Yeah. Uh, like you know. Uh, <laughs> Melissa, Melissa McCarthy and Ghostbusters in the commercials they show that thing where she gets possessed and yeah. she gets this really weird look in her face that's kind of what I was like and I, I was still even six months later I would have like a weird feeling that would just like and then it would go away Yeah, but it would be noticeable like somebody would be like are you okay and I'd be like yeah just my brain just my brain just did something real weird so those drugs are like not compatible for me but uh but yeah, it, it was, uh, I recorded it and I talked about going into the mental institution and I did like a primitive version of my rape material and um, completely weirded the audience out. And uh, and I just don't know if it's an album, you know, like six months later, of course, Murphy's Law, I, because I wasn't, I, I couldn't string a sentence together because of the sleep apnea being undiagnosed. And so it was hard for me to write a joke. Now I can write a joke again, but like, man, you don't even think about that as like a skill because it's like drinking water. It's just a thing we do. We, we need to you finish, know? but um, I use, I'm assuming you're sleeping better. Oh yeah. I've got the whole gamut machine. Yeah. And I'm feeling amazing. I'm you, hungover you, today, but like in general, But I'm that great. machine does make you look like Darth Vader, right? Well, they have a new one that's like a hose that goes under your nose and then hooks into the top of your head. Oh, okay. And that one, that's what I'm using. And that's been a, a deal. You're the third person who have that. You know, first was Jim Norton, Stan Chen and you. Oh, you really? Know? Yeah. I, I think it's comedy. I think comedy just erodes <laughs> your body. I think you get, you endure so much you, stress you, as a comedian that I think your body just goes, well, I think we've, our work here is done. I and don't, you don't, you I don't, don't think we need to stay alive for tomorrow. And we don't necessarily always sleep at the same time either. No. It's a really rare, you know, if you do show Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if you do Sunday, you leave early, first thing early Monday morning, or if you if you only do Saturday, God knows, so I don't know when you'll be leaving, depends on the Sunday, but it, it is weird when you travel during the day or yeah. super early. 
Um, I don't know how Jim Jim does it. He 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 has early morning radio. And he does a show late at night, so he have to sleep little bit in between during the day. So that I don't I don't know how they live like that. Yeah. You know? Well, the thing that sucks is having to bring an extra thing on the road with you because, like, as a woman, I prided myself on being able to get all of my fucking tampons and makeup and merch and all my bullshit into a carry on. Yeah. And now I get to bring another third bag with you. Is it that big? It's. I mean, it's like a little bit bigger than a briefcase. Oh, I didn't realize that. Mine's really light and it's really quiet and it's really good. But yeah, no, it's just it's just another fucking bag. And the bag is designed for the machine to go through TSA without them touching it. I see. You know, because you don't want those fucking gloves on your breathing machine. All right. And the last part, um, you know, recently there's been quite a bit of uh, female comedians really doing well. Like, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a friend with Amy Schumer, but... I've done a couple of shows with her. She was always nice. And it's really nice to see, you know, she's doing stuff. And I think it's expanding imagination of audience. Like, oh, women are funny. I, I do think my general impression is that it gives hope to other female comics. Because I'm not going to be one of those kind of say, I'm sure it's not easy being a female comic. I know that. I, because I know most of the male comics are fucking creeps. And uh, I don't think that's true. I, I think that there's a few out there, but like, I mean, like honest to God creeps. I don't think so. I think that we're, we're, we're weird and we're bizarre and we're dark and we can be assholes and, you know, like, I think we have a lot of bad qualities sometimes as a whole, but like, I, so I, your experience with most of the male, to- male comics been pretty decent then really decent. But I also like, well, you're very lucky. You're very lucky. I mean, that's the thing. Like I, I'm very lucky that I was on the road when I was only a year old in comedy. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I had people like you around to protect me from people that could have hurt me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm, I'm lucky that, that we have so many generations of 20 plus year veterans that are living here, raising families and happy to be here and yeah. still touring. And that, you know, comedy fathers who took me out on the road, you know, well, I, and they're I, not dicks cause they're fathers, which I know is not always the case, but, but in my case, that's yeah. what I, you know, when I have like Kermit Apio and Joe Saziani and you know, like those guys are great. you know, Brad you know, Aptoon, David Kroll, yep, yep, um, yep. you know, I'm sorry, uh, Rod Long. Yeah. Um, I mean, I learned from some of the fucking best comics in the U S that no one's ever heard of. And, and they're you know? decent guys. Mm-hmm. And I just think, uh, if their circumstance was better and if they didn't get married or whatever, like, you know, especially a guy like Brad Apton and uh, Kermit Appeal. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ, you know, like, uh, like somebody like Kermit, I always thought if Ray Romano died when they're filming, like uh, halfway through the, however, eight, nine years they were in business. You just slide Kermit you, right you, in. You put a Kermit, Kermit and you'll be fine. I'm yeah. serious. Like, he, he's, He's definitely one of those. I, I've never heard anything bad about Kermit. He seemed like he is genuine, and he seemed mentally healthy as well. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if I ever met his kids, but like, They're good I know kids. for a fact he's a great father. Yeah. Brad Upton is another another one of those guys, you know. And but I don't think I don't think they were like power hungry guys. Like I need to show the fucking world have a TV show or whatever. It was never. They were never like that guy to yeah. me. Yeah. No. And we were very lucky to have Mitch Hepberg up here. I think he was genuinely good person mm-hmm. and loved by everyone up here. Um, I think I opened for him four times, and I swear to you, I don't think he remembered me from gig to gig. Lynn would say that he did, but I don't think he did. 
Why just do you when, say that? Just because it just every time I met him, it was like I was meeting him for the first time every time. Is you that know? right? Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, to, to, to be fair, it's always easier for people to remember me because how many six feet one Asian comic do you know? And yeah. when you say Yoshi, so I think it was easier. But, you know, like, I'm sure when you were when you met him, you were just young, pretty white girl. And I'm sure there's plenty of white girls. <laughs> <laughs> doing comedy so I don't know but uh, I love Lang and uh, she's she's great yeah and, uh, I'm just very very sad very sad when people I'm it, 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 it's not the comedians it's, I'm not trying to say like I'm not saying comics lives matter I'm not putting it with the black lives matter <laughs> I'm not saying that well we got health insurance that's really what we needed most but I don't have it. Uh, you don't? I never apply. I just pay penalties every year uh, in tax. I have them. <laughs> I just don't apply. But it, it will always get to me when the comedians die. Unless I really hate that person, even yeah. if I don't know them, I, I don't know what it is. It really, it really fucking get to me, you know? Because um, they're, I don't think like they're white comic, female comic. I just think comic and like, it, it does make me sad when they pass this way. I mean, gosh, like like your friend passing away. Yeah. Hepburn, you know, over 11 years ago. I think it was Susie Soro that said, uh, when people die, I get sad. But it's something, you'd have to Google it, but it was a fucking fantastic quote. But it's something to the effect of like, when, when people die, it's sad. But but when, uh, when com- comedians die, you know, it's the worst, <laughs> basically. Like, yeah. It's a light you're never going to get back in the world. You know, there's lots of great dads. There's lots of great brothers. There's lots of, you know, like all of those types sure. of things. You can find, like, I've had friends that died where I found a different version of them. But you can't replace a comic because we are such snowflakes in that way. You know? Yeah, and, you know, were you around when uh, Jeff Masterson was around? No. So that was before your time. Yep. It just makes me sad, and I feel like I didn't know he was struggling. I, I feel like I failed him i didn't i didn't know he was that depressed he killed himself and like that shit runs in my family and god every time that shit happened i you would think with as many people that did it you know in my life it still surprised me like uh, it's not that obvious why people do it or how much they're suffering you know yeah yeah, we had a we had a suicide in my social circle that devastated my social circle to the point that most people are no longer maintaining their friendships anymore. It was he a he or she a comedian? It was or? a he. He was a he was a vet that had emotional problems and a chemical imbalance and yeah. then was drinking on top of a chemical imbalance. So so yeah, that shit's bad. <laughs> I I mean I I survived it when I was twelve. I was institutionalized for it, and um, I the, 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 feel the, so lucky to be alive every day. And and this is the reason why why people one of the many things I say is amazing to me because Asian people will hide that stuff. Yeah, like if you're if you have a pancreatic cancer, there's no stigma or shame about that. It's just like. You're born with it. Maybe, maybe because you're, I don't know, I don't know what caused pancreatic cancer, but uh, let's say stomach, uh, what's a good one? Okay, anything related to cigarette and cancer. Right. Okay, you made a bad decision, but there's cancer that you had nothing to do with it. Like, there's right. people get lung cancer that never smoke, and there's no shame. It's just sad. It is tragic. Yeah. You know, no fault of your, you're, you just were born with genetic or something that caused it, but... If you're born with mental illness, and it's tr- if, that's a fact, some people are born with it, but 
man, the stigma in Asia with the mental illness, you know, they just, um, they just think you're a bad person. You know, if you're bipolar or depressed or multiple personality, you name it. There's so many different kind of mental illness, right? Yeah. Yeah, that shit was really hard. Like my family, I mean, there's plenty of my family members still don't talk about when my dad supposedly killed. I don't know. He was either murder or, or, or if he did kill himself, they don't talk about it. Yeah. He's not there, but they won't talk about it. Yeah, I think that's one of the problems with suicide is that nobody talks about it. Yeah. Because I, I, apparently 30% of deaths are suicides. I had no idea the number was that high. 30%. I didn't know it was that high. Yeah. I learned a bunch of shit, yeah, when my friend killed himself. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you know, for, for, for um, I know that for white people, it's, it's, I, it's such an extreme. Either they're teenagers or white men in the uh, middle age. You know, like... During a really weird age, like you're not really that old senior citizen, yeah. but you're not young either. And especially, you don't know where you stand, like career-wise, if you lost a job, you know, and if you're a white person, you're supposed to have advantages, but like all of a sudden you don't have a job and you're like mid-50s and um, I don't know what's the percentage, but I, I was shocked how high that uh, suicide rate for was and that sense of hopelessness and powerlessness you know like you're a white person in America white guy in America you would think you know like that joke Louis CK like hey everything's great I'm I'm a man and I'm white and then you know he just everybody kind of cheering like you know I have so many good things going for me and everything's great but if you're an average white person a guy losing a job and everybody assumed that you should have a certain advantage and you don't have that I guess that that's a formula for suicide you know yeah I don't know. I just, I think there's a lot of um, mental health doesn't get all the credit that it deserves. Yeah. It needs, it needs more funding. It needs more help. It's like what all these people that are shooting cops, former military, <laughs> Yeah, you know, you can't take someone and put them in a war zone and teach them an us versus them mentality, fracture a fragile psyche and then just put them back in society. Like they need help. Sure. Like, and, I, and I don't think we do adequate job. It doesn't seem like. Not even close. By the way, um, I, I, one of the irony of being minority is that they have so much disappointment in their lives. Uh, they don't, they, that suicide rate for them is not a high when they're middle age, ironically, because they're used to uh, uh, disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> I guess white guys like, I'm white. Why am I having disappointment in my mid-50s? But I thought that was interesting that if you if if you grow up with disappointment throughout your life, I guess it doesn't really bother me as much as somebody who had a lot of uh, good things going for them, you know. Yeah. But, well, I mean, like for me, I just had no hope. I had no hope. I was like, life sucks, and as far as I know, it's just gonna suck forever. Let's just fucking stop this. Yeah. Like that was it was that simple to me, you know. But as soon as find out uh, what was your illness, uh, when did they find out? What do you mean? When did they find out your uh, sleep apnea was the I problem? I think about eight months ago. Okay, so... What are we in, June? July. July? Yeah, about eight months, something like that. So, so we're still adjusting and tweaking. But but the gradually, you, you uh, it's gotten better. Yeah, I mean, yeah, way better. I mean, it's unbelievable, the difference. Good. Unbelievable. I mean, within a week, it was like, oh, and also I'd been having hallucinations. Like, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I would see, like, spiders or I'd see roaches or... Yeah. And weird alien spiders that like only had five legs and you know just weird shit and uh, all that's all that stopped. Yeah, and I've been and off my machine this week and I'm completely emotional and unstable and like I'm crying at, at everything. So you have to use them. So I have to use the machine. Yeah. yeah, the machine is part of my mental health and so is comedy. I mean, like if I don't get on stage, 
I get real weird. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm, I'm glad you're doing well. Um, do you want to tell the audience, you know, if they want to follow and check you out and tour, what's the easiest way to follow? Like, I'm sure you have Instagram, Facebook. I got website. all that shit. Well, yeah. Well, give it that information. Um, it's aliciawood.com, all one word for and how do you all sp- platforms. How do, you, how do you spell? It's A-L-Y-S-I-A. And W-O-O-D. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Tony it, Daniel, by the way, when you see him, or you know, you already saw him, right? Yeah. I've known that man for 17 years. I did a gig and uh, my name was misspelled. I was dying laughing. I was like, I've known you for 17 years. And well, totally sometimes hip hop and uh, black people spell differently for a cool <laughs> effect. So maybe it wasn't on. For, um, what about Twitter and Facebook and stuff like all that? All the same. Yeah. It's all Alicia Wood. Backslash Alicia Wood at yeah. Alicia Wood, whatever. It's all. It's the nice thing about having a weird name is that uh, nobody's got that spelling. And any big show coming up, maybe locally or something like within. Uh, Just maybe. on the twenty fourth, Jake Dill's coming back, and I'm doing his show. But um, locally, I haven't been performing a ton. Okay. Yeah, mainly just on the road. All right. Well, thanks for listening, um, Alicia. Thanks. I'm, I'm glad you um, um, text me back. Sometimes I, when I text people, like I don't hear a lot of them. Um. <laughs> that's so weird. Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big responder. Yeah, that's good. I mean, oh, just, you know, like, I I don't want to mention names, but this person, I was concerned for three years. She wouldn't respond back. Uh, we, we're not, like, boyfriend, girlfriend, but I don't know what happened to them. And then um, a couple of days ago, I just, out of random, I decided to call this person up. She answered the phone, and she said she's going to call me back. She never did. I think she's been kind of avoiding everybody else in comedy scene, I think. But she accidentally answered the phone, so she had to say... Oh shit! I have to. Oh, my mom's oh, calling. Me. I have to go. Ah, ah yeah. yeah. And then uh, she never called back. So I don't care if they don't want to talk to me. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Just, just let me know that you're, you're not dead and or in some ditch or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. All right, Alicia. Thanks. I'm, I'm, I know there was such a last minute notice, and I'm glad you came. And I'm glad. Uh, I, I, what's up with you? Because I just. I talked to a couple of people and they really wasn't sure what happened to you. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I just got sick. Uh, my my landlord's house was foreclosed on. Yeah. So my house was foreclosed on, but it was my landlord's house. Uh, my car was impounded and I got sick all in the same, same month. Time. Yeah, it was just like, and so it was like I had no resources, and I was sick, you know. So went home and well, then I just fucking shit show after that. I, I could tell, <laughs> I could tell by your facial expression, and voice. I I know you're in a better place. I. I I didn't know. I'm, you know, um, sometimes I catch myself like, "Am I doing all right?" But um, good. yeah, yeah, totally. I, I'm, I'm glad uh, I saw you. And everyone, check check Alicia because she's just very funny. But I, I think you know you're very honest. I'm, I'm glad you're talking about these things because ultimately, I think it helped you uh, learn to deal with it. So anyway, my brother's here. This is a perfect stop. Um, thanks. And, Thank you, guys. Uh, I will um, talk to you soon. 